So just like, just live in life. Just live in life. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is exciting. I'm having a good time back in Korea. It's been, it's been a good transition. Uh, so let's... Everything's let's... like more or less back to normal there? Yeah. I mean, every, like, it's, mask use is mandatory still in a lot of places. Obviously, like, public transportation, you must wear a mask or you're not allowed on. Yeah. They did that in the GTA now, too. Yeah, good. Yeah, even the dirt balls in Niagara are uh, finally wearing masks. Yeah, yeah like I saw there's a mandate. Well, that mandate doesn't go into effect for another like week, though. I don't think. Yeah, no. Everybody, all the all the well, stores and stuff. Like, I had to go run errands for mom and dad today, and like all this. Like, I was in. I always go out with a mask, but like it was way more like everybody had a mask on now. Like, yeah. I had to go. So yeah, That's, whatever. Yeah. It's taken a minute to get used to. You know what I mean? It just feels like we're living in Watchmen as it is when you watch the news and everybody's wearing a mask on top of everything else. It's like, yeah. all right, this is taking a second to get used to, but all right, cool. Yeah, it, you get yeah. used to it really fast because like, I had that initial reaction when I first moved to South Korea and people were wearing masks just out of courtesy if they felt like they were getting a cold or whatever, they would just put on a mask. So it was kind of like, oh, what? It, why is this person wearing a mask? But then you're kind of like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I guess at this point, it's just going to be like one of those things that we look back on and be like, oh, yeah, I guess Asians, like they were just trendsetting at that point. Like they were just ahead of the curve. Yeah. Because that's how we're, we're all going to have to live the rest of our lives now, too, I guess. It's, well, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, like they're saying that, hey, good news with COVID 19 vaccines and things like that. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hopefully, we are slowly diverting away from the darkest timeline, hopefully. So, on that note, welcome to Dance Robot Dance, a podcast with a filthy fucking mouth for all things geek. Uh, (laughs) I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined by my brother, Mark. Say hi, Mark. What is up, everybody? And Tim. Say hi, Tim. Hi, everybody. And uh, I'm back, guys. Had a little brief sojourn through South Korea. Or, or should I say I'm now living here again because it just took a while to get my life set up after quarantine because, you know, I started at my new school. They gave me no furniture and nice. I'm now cohabitating with my boyfriend. Your, your room had no furniture or I had your... <laughs> a, a bed and they gave me a bowl and one <laughs> set of cutlery and they're like, and a, a frying pan, and they're like, "And it's the best of luck." Yep, they're like, nice. "Here you go." Luckily, I had a lot of stuff from my previous apartment that I kept in a storage locker. That was not so bad, and we ordered some stuff from IKEA, and we did the IKEA trip, and we survived. Thirty Rock was exaggerating. <laughs> Relationships can survive the IKEA trip. Oh yeah, they definitely can. It is a Absolutely. test, though. It is a test, <laughs> but. We had already ordered the bulk of stuff for delivery. So we were just going in to like see if there were any odds and ends that we wanted to pick up. So it was a very low stress kind of, we're really there for the Swedish meatballs kind of Ikea trip, which was good. That worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, we went to Ikea last weekend and, and I picked up like the frozen meatballs and gravy and everything so that I can make it at home because like that's sweet normally always get meatballs when we go to ikea we couldn't do it so yeah. did it at home yeah it's not quite the same but it's all right it, i miss those yeah. meatballs we had there's an ikea that is like right at the bottom of like in burlington at the bottom of plains road like a, a fairview street yeah. which is where my office was for years and every once in a while somebody would get the fucking 
they'd get the the notion that they needed those meatballs at lunch. And next thing you know, the whole fucking office stank with those meatballs and everybody was going out like for later lunches <laughs> and going to Ikea and getting more fucking meatballs. And those things, they are like heroin. The fri- some, some Fridays when we were in that office, it would just be like this whole fucking place reeks of those Ikea meatballs <laughs> and it lasted all afternoon. Like every time somebody would be like, why does it smell like meatballs? And you're like, oh, don't start. Don't start. Because then somebody's going to go get more. And yeah, still there are worse things. Yeah, the, there are at least nobody things. microwaved fish. Yeah, well, we we had a couple of those, but you know, it's an yeah. office and fucking a bunch of savages. There's people like my boyfriend who got the the cod or the salmon at IKEA instead of the meatballs. Ugh. <laughs> Gia's wonky lash. <laughs> fucking Gia gun. G- I'm okay. I'm glad you guys are having that reaction to Gia gun because that's generally my reaction to Gia gun too. Is fucking Gia gun. I had that reaction to two people. It made me think I was racist. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. Fair enough. Let's see. Is I was like, I don't like these two people. And I was like, wait, that's the Asian and the black person. And then they're all hey, this season. There yeah, was one black queen well. that I fucking loved. And then oh, yes. Eliminated yeah. like second, yeah. second or third episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh we're talking about vivacious. Oh, I love <laughs> vivacious. Yes. I, I actually, I did like her quite a bit, but, uh, We'll talk. Yeah, about it. yeah, we'll talk. About <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. I'm so this is an exciting episode. I'm super excited about it. Almost just be like messing himself <laughs> at this point. He's I, I have, I am lit up with joy right now. Well, that's fantastic. So, we have SDCC news. What else do we have? Microsoft stuff. The Eisners, but like, I, none of this is. There's very little of this stuff that I actually can comment on because a lot of it is uh, indie stuff that won this year. Yeah. Have I actually read any of this stuff? Let me see. I was going to, I had the list open in a tab, but I haven't looked at it yet. Yeah. The only one that I've read is the uh, Harley Quinn. Oh, have I even read that Harley Quinn Breaking Glass? No, I don't think I have because that's, uh, I think, one of like the, they've been doing a bunch of like young adult graphic novels and I haven't been picking them up. All right, guys. We've got some news to get through. So, First, we'll quickly talk about the Eisners because the Eisner winners came out and Eisners are important because they celebrate our storytelling, the storytelling that we like. But to be honest, I'm, I haven't read a lot of the stuff that's on the list. I always end up like reading it because of the Eisners as opposed to like mm. actually having read it and then being like, oh, yeah, somebody won an Eisner for that. Oh. Yeah, it's like the Oscars of comic books. It is kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I I had heard of Invisible Kingdom by G. Willow Wilson because I always follow what she's yeah. doing, but I still haven't read it yet. But apparently, it is very good because she won, so good for her. More G. Yeah, Willow she Wilson won for yeah, best new series, best new series. Yeah, so we did, not a lot of mainstream titles in the comics realm yeah. were uh, won this year. It was mostly independent. Writer a lot driven. of like image and dark horse and yeah like fantagraphics and stuff Fantagra- like that yeah i think only i think only that harley quinn one was the big and even like, that like that was just mariko tamaki getting a best writer nod for like molt for her sort of body of work that she did over the past year and, and harley quinn breaking glass was one of those um yeah it was a young, young adult like uh, graphic novel that she did mm-hmm. yeah so but not much in the way of like mainstream comics stuff getting the awards, but it's always good to take a look at the indie comic scene, see what's coming up, because a lot of these writers will end up getting snapped up by Marvel and DC for some reason or another. So 
Yeah, yeah definitely. S- San Diego Comic Con kind of is <laughs> a thing with COVID nineteen. Uh, is that what they're calling it? Yeah, SDC yeah, yeah. at home. So it's a weird feeling to see SDCC be so fragmented and like weird. Like like the cosplay community is doing all their stuff online, doing like digital pageants and things like that. And all of the news is coming out in little bits and pieces on YouTube, which is kind of similar to how it usually happens, but with like fewer live streams that are like yeah. audience reactions. Everything is very like canned and uh, well it's also like they're not they're not showing you anything like super exciting because like they haven't really like nothing new is happening right like mm. they have no idea if they can even go back to work in production and stuff like that so yeah the only stuff they're showing is stuff that was kind of already yeah. in the can pre uh pre-covid yeah yeah, so. yeah that's true i mean we've got let's see archer's next season will feature simon Pegg and jamie lee curtis which is exciting i guess yeah there's a, the trailer came out today because i saw it earlier this afternoon and it looks like it's like return to form kind of like they're back at isis or whatever they're gonna call it i guess i don't know yeah so that's it it looks pretty good i'm excited for that last season of archer yeah um even though it's like i heard again like that that it might not be again so like they're not (laughs) because they had a good time making it and they're like we will do another one i was just make up your fucking minds guys anyway yeah in Star Trek trying to be like Star Wars news, there's a, a, a glut of Star Trek stuff happening coming out of SDCC, including a, a Nickelodeon animated series called Star Trek Prodigy. Which is something we've talked about. Yeah, yeah. we knew that there was a Nickelodeon Star Trek series happening, and it's just now we have a name for it and yeah. sort of a premise for it. Yeah, which is, you know, exactly what every teenage star trek fanfic is about which is teenagers on board the the star trek x ship whatever you're going to call it and bombing around the universe doing things so this is what i don't fucking get like this is basically talking down to your audience as far as i'm concerned like our generation mark and and even like the original star trek generation they got hooked on shows that were being written for adults yeah. You know, they they got hooked on Star Wars the original series on on TNG on Deep Space Nine that sort of thing. Like people don't want fucking I I don't think you know younger audiences want fucking watered down Star Trek that's you know fucking made just for them kind of thing. I 100% agree. Yeah, I think that that is a weird like boardroom premise that like from the in the age of focus groups in the 1980s it's such a weird holdover that still exists to this day that it's like uh this demographic wants like it is true that we want like people want representation to see themselves reflected in certain aspects but star trek is an aspirational show it's a show that is forward-looking constantly so like seeing your teen drama play out in the star trek like landscape when you've got all this like these diplomatic missions going on seems really like not in the spirit of the series at all. Like that's kind of, that's kind of the same argument as we have with like all these new star Trek things by the time they're done, you know, nobody wants dark, gritty star Wars. People want like, you know, or, or like 
you know, fun kitty no, people, Star Wars. See, that's the want... thing. People want dark, gritty Star Wars. Absolutely. Star that's the best of oh, the Mandalorian. But like, and even dark, gritty Star Trek works, man. I watched seven years of Deep Space Nine. Like, it still is my favorite of the, all those shows because it's the dark kind of gritty one. But like, but that's not necessarily. Know. How do I see this? It's a character. There's a lot of characters on the show, but it's not like character drama driven. It's no, ideologically well, it driven yeah. most of the yes. time. And when we, things like Picard and Discovery often fall into the character drama, interpersonal drama driven stuff where like we lose the big picture or then yeah, Star Trek's always big picture allegory, right? Like it's yeah. always trying to tell you a story about like the world we live in right now. And it just, I don't know. There's yeah. something about the way they're doing it where it's like, I don't know. They want to look at like the dystopian side of things. And I'm like, that's not how Star Trek operates. They yeah. operate on the far side of all this nonsense. Like we have evolved past all that nonsense. Like we shouldn't still be going back to these tropes again. I mean, I guess you can backslide. Obviously there is backsliding happening everywhere. <laughs> yeah. As there's stormtroopers, you know, all over Oregon and shit, but oh, like, it, Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just weird. I, I always like, yeah, I don't know. I don't care about any of these shows. I'm going to watch them all, but I don't care about any of them. I guess it's kind of the way it works right now. I just yeah. want strange new worlds to be a traditional star Trek show. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to be, but yeah, I'm still just fingers crossed, you know, <laughs> yeah. fingers crossed. I hope that they are able to recapture the magic to an extent. I don't know. The more I see of what some people are calling the brand dilution, the less hope I have. So hopefully strange new worlds will be really successful. And then, like maybe they'll pivot in that direction more. I think they would be amazed at the fan response if they just did a kind of more like they that was a more standard feeling Star Trek. Yeah, I think you'd like it would shut the main fan base up enough that they would be allowed a little bit more leeway than yeah. like because now like they haven't done real Star Trek since they've come back. Really, it's always it's been like modern through this modern lens where we do the J.J. Abrams stuff. And I'm like. Maybe slow it down and do TV Star Trek again the way it was done. I mean, yeah, you can jazz it up and modernize it, like make it look pretty and all that good shit. But like do that kind of storytelling and just see. And if you just do it for that one show, the fan base is appeased at that point and you can go off and do your other stuff. Yeah. But like sometimes you got to feed the beast a little bit before you can go fuck off and like ruin everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. So in other news, they're really still trying to keep us interested in New Mutants because they won't just put it yep. on Disney Plus because I guess they can't. So we got another another New Mutants panel at SDCC with the actors just like really. By the time trying. this movie comes out, like what's her name's going to be like thirty nine years old or some Maisie shit. Williams. <laughs> yeah, Maisie Williams. Yeah, Williams. Yeah, because I think she was like eighteen when they filmed this thing. She's got to be like twenty two now or something. So yeah. Like, They'll just have to change the title to Mutants. Yeah, like they're not new anymore. <laughs> Why old, old Mutants? Old Mutants. <laughs> yeah. Christ. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Like the trailer looks good. I'm curious about the movie, but like at this point, it kind of looks like direct to Netflix shit to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah I'm gonna um, watch it, but we'll yeah. I'm 100 gonna watch this movie. I'm so like I am now curious about it, and I want to rip off this bandaid because I know that like. I gotta watch it. Like I, I've heard that it could be good, but I'm like, I, I don't see how it could possibly 
like it's live just, up to anything at this point. You know what I mean? Just like get it out there. Exactly. It's so weird. Like, you know, right now seems like the perfect time. There's so much hunger for new content, especially new like Marvel content right now yeah. because everything's getting pushed back. So this is something you fucking got in the can. That you could just give to the people and I imagine that they would not be as harsh on it right now as they would normally because they're just That's fucking the thing. starving. If they put it out and even I had to pay 10 bucks and watch it at home, like on VOD or whatever, I'd be probably super easy on it. Cause at that point it's 10 bucks that I watched on VOD. Right. Yeah. Versus like, I went to the movies and all that kind of shit, which yeah, like yeah, if I go to the movies and food and everything and yeah, I'm going to tear into a movie that I don't like if I do it mm-hmm. that way. But like, I'm going to be way more lenient on a movie that I kind of want to like, even though like they haven't given me any real reason to want to like it so far. If I just have to like pay 10 bucks and watch it here kind of thing. Like yeah. on my big screen. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not tenant, like Disney gave away that about. Hamilton, right? Like, like yeah. David and they spent like $75 million to get the rights well, to that or whatever. Gave away. They got wow. a fuck ton of new Disney Plus subscribers for. Well, that's what I mean. But yeah. like that's whoever has this, like that's more subscribers, right? Like if yeah. that's all they're trying to do is add Disney Plus subscribers. Throw it on Disney Plus, call that a call it a promotional loss or whatever. But yeah, at the same time, like they're they've shown willingness to pivot to streaming with Onward when they like they yeah. did the theatrical release, but right when COVID hit, and then it they just put it right on Disney Plus after a couple of weeks because it's like, hey, we can't go see this movie and we got to recoup some of our losses here. Like so, it didn't yeah. turn out to be a particularly good movie, but like I was definitely more lenient on it as like, oh. Yeah, it was fine because it was like a Pixar movie that I basically got for free, you know, yeah. and I got it shortly after it was released in theaters. So I, it was like an airplane movie, you know, it must be contractual at this point. Like it must have been something to do with like the transitional contracts, because like I otherwise they must just want like, would they did they even care to like keep it at this point? Like it's Dis- it's a, a Fox movie that kind of got dumped on them. Like would Disney give a shit if it weren't contractual? I don't know. Probably not, really. Probably like, not. it's not going to affect anything they're going to do with these, that branch of the Marvel Universe ever, right? Like, this is right. a dead branch of the Marvel Universe anyway. So just, like, put it out. Chop it, it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Like, let it yeah. rot on the ground. Like, well, yeah, I, love it. Just, just kill it at this point. That's kind of the other thing, too, is like, this is that's that's that universe's last gasp. You know what I mean? Like, just put the bullet in its fucking head and end right. it already. Like, because I think that, like, it, in terms of imp- cultural impact, the streaming might like lessen the damage or at least like make it feel very disparate from the existing Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like mm-hmm. it, it kind of keeps it gated off in case there's a negative fan reaction. And then if you, if people find out that they like it and it turns into a thing, well, you can start bringing those aspects in later on. If like you start bringing mutants yeah. into the MCU, it's like, hey, let's bring Maisie Williams in. Because the, everyone liked her in that movie, so they have to explain why she's you know fourteen years older than she was when that movie was shot. Digital <laughs> aging, whatever. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Either way, smooth. Everyone's super smooth because everything is. Everybody looks like Patrick Stewart in X Men Three. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Let's see what else. Tenet is gonna come out whenever it feels like it. Actually, <laughs> yeah. So it was supposed to come out in August. And the COVID numbers in the United States, as I'm watching from South Korea, are making me fucking cringe. Yeah. Along with, you know, all the other jackbooted bullshit that's happening in the United States right now. 
I really at least want- we're on the other side of an ocean from it. We're sitting on top of it currently. So yeah, well, I'm only one sea away from and North Korea away from China, who is doing the same thing with the Hong also Kong protesters. True. So and in both cases, there is ideological bleed from one to the other. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. well. Yeah, well both governments in China and the United States decry the other for their human rights violations. It's just, yeah. what is this world we're in? Anyway, Tenet <laughs> is a movie. It's a movie that we're all very excited to see. Yeah, I've been, I've been like, I'm dying to see this movie. Like, I know he's never, ever, ever gonna let me see it before it gets shown to me on a projector somewhere. Like, yeah, it's, it's, this movie is not going VOD. No. Sure. no, no. Yeah. And going along with Black Widow and Wonder Woman 1984 as like the big releases and Mulan that are just not, they're just on the back burner for the time being until the, basically until the American market is back up and running and willing to spend money in a movie theater again. Fucking luck, gentlemen. Even Canada, like Toronto movie theaters and stuff are, are, I think, back open now, but I don't know if I'm going to be going anytime soon. You would have to, the way people crowded around Clifton Hill, like the the second they could last weekend, I'm like, you know what? Nope, 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 nope. Clifton Hill, of all places, a tourist trap area. Garbage, mama. Garbage. Yeah, because here in South Korea, the theaters are open and it's pretty low risk comparatively and they people still do social distancing in the theaters but there's no releases so no one really goes there like there's uh, a few places that are re-releasing classic films like the emu cinema which is kind of an art house theater here re-released aliens and showed aliens for a week and people were really happy about that and that's pretty much what's happening right now like they re-released the greatest showman and Aladdin, like various movies that kind of did well or um, holdovers from the Oscar season from last year that really didn't get a lot of buzz. Like Bombshell is playing here in Korea again for some Good reason. Good movie, actually. You should watch it. If, I, well, I mean, don't, don't go see it in the theaters. Just download it. But yeah, like, I mean, I enjoyed it. So isn't Charlize in that movie? Like, uh, Margot Robbie and Charlize and, and Nicole, Nicole Kidman's Kidman. In there. All three yeah. blonde women that I adore. So, yeah. you know, like I'm definitely going to watch it at some point. And it's all about it, like I'm super fascinated by the whole Fox News apparatus basically, even though yeah. like I mean I hate it, but I'm fascinated by how it works. Yeah. So, These, I I was on board, yeah. Yeah, all, like, the, I all the Fox News blondes that yeah. I can't yeah. tell apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny too when you start, when you get in there and you're like if you like blur your eyes while you're watching that movie sometimes you cannot tell any of those yeah. women apart because mm-hmm. it's like i mean they're all like beautiful blonde women right you blur your eyes like yeah, it's all the same thing on screen yep just pastel suits and like pencil skirts and shit yeah it's crazy but yeah yeah it's an interesting story you should get into that one actually yeah i will let's see g4 tv is coming back I, yeah they've been like tweeting and shit all day too that was a yeah. weird one today yeah yeah that was that was way out of left field for me because even as a video game lover and i love video game just news and the discourse around like new releases of video games i never really liked watching g4 tv it always feels like kind of like old media trying to horn in on a new media kind of idea yeah. you know what i mean like video games very like have become very much an online culture kind of thing so like g4 tv to me is just like should be should have been a huge YouTube channel that everybody yeah. subscribes to. Yeah. And that's, but like now they still want it to be on TV. Like who fucking, like who 
is a tech enthusiast that still subscribes to cable. Yeah. And my problem aside from to get their internet. Right. Tough. My problem with G4 TV and a lot of video game media is that it tends to be kind of like blase. Well, broy first of all, but always like super like self-congratulatory or very not very critical of the industry as a whole or of the video games themselves. Like that was one of the things I didn't like about G4 TV is that there was no criticism. It was always just this is the game and look at the game and it has these graphics. Oh yeah, and look at the yeah. graphics and it was always felt like I was being sold to rather than told well this is the quality of the game. Like, give me a review. Like, give me a review show that doesn't feel like a Nintendo Power review where everything that, everything the first party is 9.0 plus out of 10. You know? Like I said, gotta find, like, in this day and age, you just find the reviewer you trust, you follow them on YouTube. That's who you listen to. So, pretty much. I I mean, it's cool for me. Like, it's cool just to see your CG4 back, but, like, at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm never going to watch it. I didn't watch the original. We had the original iteration and like, I never watched it. So like, whatever. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Like people are going to talk about it. Yeah. Like people are going to be like, Oh, remember like, that's where Olivia Munn came from. I'm like, yeah, but Olivia Munn does other things now. So whatever. If there's one thing there's a fucking glut of right now, it's people that fucking review video games, right? Oh my <laughs> and, God. And talk about video games and stream video games. And like, we have, we definitely have enough of that. We say as a podcast of three white dudes talking about nerdy shit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're a very, we, uh, we scream we are aware. Yeah. 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 We, if anyone yeah. knows, it's us. Like, we know yeah, that, that we are in a saturated area of yeah. media. Yeah. So, but G4, at least we, have we take a stance on things which is more than i can say for g4 tv like there was not a single piece of media from that that entire tv era that i remember or whatever it's just like, you never never watched attack of the show no, was no. Not an attack okay, of the show fan. that was the i was like i think that was their big like cultural touchstone was it that's the one everybody like has been bringing up as it's coming back now it's like oh is attack of the show happening again i was like yeah. All right, I guess cool, but yeah. yeah. And speaking of video game news, uh, Microsoft did their not E3 Xbox yeah. showcase, which had some cool stuff. They're they they're getting Dragon Quest Eleven, which um, if you haven't played that on either PS4 or Switch, and you only are in the Xbox environment, play it. It's fucking great, excellent classic Japanese role playing game. There's like the guys who made Nights into Dreams are teaming up with Square Enix to make a, a game called Balan Wonderworld, which I'm dying to try. Do you guys remember Nights into Dreams? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Good times. That game was fun. Halo stuff. Halo Infinite. Yeah, uh, which which looked okay. I'm like, and there, it's you. Could, I could go play it right now. Actually, it's on Game Pass now because it, like they're letting you play all those games like as demos on uh, Xbox One. So. There, so I, I think I downloaded Halo Infinite because I was curious to give it a shot. Um, it looks good. Yeah. We'll see how it is when it actually like comes out retail. I didn't see anything like super huge. I was like, I was very on board with the Sony one, but I didn't see anything that like blew my like socks off or whatever yeah. on the Microsoft one. Like I'm yeah. still on board for the Series X. I still think it's like it looks like a good piece of kit, but yeah, uh, they they haven't sold me hardware or software wise yet. The only game that really interested me, like that was new was Everwild, the new Rare game. And I'm yeah. not, I haven't been excited by Rare's output since the Nintendo 64 era. So I was like, oh, this is a Rare game that actually looks like... A Rare be, game. A Rare game that could be cool. Because yeah. most of their stuff has been like retreads of the stuff they were successful with in the Nintendo 64 era that I haven't really cared about. Like, 
the that yeah, banjo. More, more banjo. I don't need banjo kazooie anything ever <laughs> yeah, again. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. And if you want a good banjo kazooie game that actually feels like banjo kazooie, play ukulele instead. Yeah, yeah. So that's all the news that I found in my quick scan of my headlines. But if you guys have anything else. Go ahead. There was there was a couple trailers coming out around this SDCC at home that looked interesting to me. The one was uh, one I know we've talked about. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg's doing this like ghost hunting comedy called Truth Seekers, and the trailer for that dropped. And I think it looks pretty fun. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Pegg and Frost. So I'm just glad they're working together again. It's been a while. So it's been a while and there was a second bill and ted trailer that got shown as surrounding sdcc as well and it gives me even more faith that this movie is going oh it's to be... coming to streaming isn't it yes. that was one thing yeah. i wanted to talk about yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're dropping it on on vod uh on september 1st so it was supposed to come out august 20th now they've pushed it back like i guess like a week and a half or something like that to september 1st i don't know do they say where it's going to be I, I assume it'll just be like places like Amazon and shit that you can like buy, just. Yeah, I assume it. I was just gonna go. I was just gonna go at iTunes it like I usually do with that kind of stuff because yeah. iTunes is where you get the 4K shit for free. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the trailer was a lot of fun and sort of showed a little bit more of like the time travel hijinks that they're gonna be getting into and shit and and both the it looks like sort of the daughters and Bill and Ted are gonna kind of go off and like their own directions at one point and one you know they're gonna have kind of two parallel plots going so i don't know looks like a lot of fun yeah i think that's a good idea yeah. like if you want to do like a spin-off film with the daughters it makes sense to give them some screen time by themselves to see if they actually can pull it off yeah and if people respond well to those scenes and their focus groups or whatever the hell they're gonna do then yeah more movie um another movie could be in the works yes and then like keanu can still stick around in a more mentor style role because yeah and alex winter can have something to pay the bills because yeah yep. i mean he's doing some he's doing like direct uh, documentary he directs shit now, normally, yeah. doesn't he yeah, yeah. producing and, and uh, directing of documentaries at the moment yeah the other thing i saw was halloween horror nights at universal in orlando finally got canceled just because florida is just out of control right now and they were like yeah we're Universal is open, but they're just gonna say like, there's no way to do like social distancing in those haunting ha- haunted houses and stuff like that. Like, you know, people get generally get right up in your face and shit, and with every you know, with people like screaming and stuff in them, it's just not fucking feasible. So, it's just why? Why is it open? I don't. Why? Know. I don't. Know. Open. I don't know yeah. why it's still why is open? Disney World open. I don't know. It's just dumb. It's just really stupid, and I hate it. And like. So I'm torn because, like, I have friends that have been furloughed that, that still work at Disney World that have been furloughed since, like, April or, or March, middle of March when it closed. And they, like, the only thing they're relying on right now is the, uh, uh, like, extended unemployment benefits, which are probably going away very soon. Uh, yeah. Probably have already gone past, I yeah. think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, from what and, I was and we're yeah. paltry to begin with, to be fair. Yeah. And I, I sympathize okay. with them, but, like... The COVID so, numbers in Florida are like are fucking catastrophic. I know. And you know what's not going to help much is, you know, a theme park where people have to stand in line, even if it is socially distanced lines. Like people cut between people. 
It's just it all, and people aren't wearing masks still in that area because people are fucking idiots. So. Well, I mean, they're requiring masks for everybody that goes into the parks. So yeah, but yeah, but, people, the but I've seen the way that people actually use the masks. Like yeah. even here in South Korea, like people dropping the masks under their noses, rendering them ineffective. Useless. Yeah, completely useless. Yeah. So it's so. upsetting to see that Disney closed the parks at three thousand. Uh, cases and decided to reopen them at a million. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Just fucking. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Halloween Horror Nights is, is an event that I ha- uh, try to attend when I can because it's a lot of fucking fun. So at the very least, I'm not going to have like FOMO this year that I'm that I'm missing it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Same with Dragon Con, yeah. pretty much. So yeah. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention that does have a tangential nerdy tie-in is my former congressman in Atlanta, John Lewis, passed away this week, who is a big part of the civil rights movement and uh, also wrote a graphic novel, three-part graphic novel, about his experiences as part of the civil rights movement called March. And so he passed away from after a long battle with pancreatic cancer uh, about a little over a week ago now. So... It was really cool being able to live in his district for like 10 years. And unfortunately, I never got to fucking vote for him, but Alicia definitely did. And so, yeah, that's sad because he was like an icon and will be remembered for a long time to come. Uh, A very important part of the civil rights movement period. Yeah. There was a bunch of other like fucking like fucking Regis Philbin died today and oh, Regis. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. but we don't you know that doesn't really tie into us very very strongly so yeah but it's Regis I mean he has been mentioned as a joke on a lot of nerdy stuff that we have been and True. not in a not in a bad way because everyone kind of loves Regis like he yeah. he was such a character but I know that like the WB cartoons like Animaniacs loved making fun of him because he was such like a, a gracious guy to like, he was always very pleasant. And didn't he like, ha- did he do bit parts for 30 rock all the time too? Was that ever seem to remember like a sitcom where he had like little bit gags. They do. Sure, I thought it was I'm 30 sure rock. that he did because he was game for a lot. So yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's sad to see him go too, man. Yeah. Man, I think John yeah. John Saxon, who played the dad in the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the cop dad, and he passed away like just today too. And he was also in Enter the Dragon, and just a lot of yeah. a lot of fandom deaths lately. Yeah, that's a it's a bummer. Yeah. I guess we're we're getting into the. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about something more fun. <laughs> Gentlemen, start your engines. Oh, wait, we have to do Geek of the Week first. <laughs> I, I know, you I know you're excited, Paul, to get to the meat of the I episode. Know. I am would, very I, would, I was going to say he's excited to do it, but that was the longest news segment we have ever done. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's eight minutes on top of this already. We got to kind of like yeah, get all this along, yeah. guys. Yeah. So. All right, so let's do Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. This is where we talk about the geekiest thing that we did this week. So let's start with Tim. What'd you do? It, mine is Pokemon Go again, So, uh, which I haven't really talked about in a while. But um, they've just like continued to adapt the game so that people can basically like play from home. Because I got hung up on the Team Rocket Go challenges, like beating the, the leaders. Those hot air balloons yeah. that popping up. And so now they, they've made it such that like basically the, the Pokestops that, have, that are occupied by Team Rocket Go grunts or leaders come to you. And so, like, over the course of, like, a few days, I was able to beat, like, um, the two leaders that I hadn't beat yet, uh, Sierra and Arlo. 
Arlo, yeah. And then last night I beat Giovanni. So I finally yeah, finally cleared out that task, uh, that spe- special research task that's been going on forever. Sierra fucking yeah. was like kicking my ass. Like I, I took one shot at her and, and couldn't beat her because I just didn't. There's one Pokemon she had that I just didn't have good counters for. And so I just let her go, yeah. and then she came back, and like she had a little bit different lineup, and I was able to take her down finally. But I, I think I, yeah. I probably dropped like thirty something revives the first time that I was trying, just like different different lineups trying to counter, yeah. counter her moves. It took me one or two tries to beat Giovanni, but I didn't. I had good counters for him, so I just yeah. needed to like adjust my strategy a little bit. Because you have to kind of like play with the mechanics of the the shields the and the charge AI and the shields. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. With me, yeah. with me, like I think it was maybe it only took me maybe two or three tries to take down Giovanni, which was nice after mm. how long it fucking took me to get through Sierra. Yeah. So. Nice, yeah. Uh, Mark. What was your geek of the week? Sorry, you guys. My brain just like <laughs> I went checked out. out of body experience while you guys were talking about Pokemon again. <laughs> it's been a while. I haven't had a good one of those for a while. You guys started sort of bringing that up again. No, my geek of the week this week was uh, I actually I watched so much WWE bullshit this week, and I don't know why I did this to myself. Well, now we can check out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Last week they had a the the main event of their pay per view was an eye for an eye match where they were like going to try to make me believe that they were going to gouge out Rey Mysterio Jr.'s eye. <laughs> And I was like, I saw, I saw a reference to that this week. That makes sense now. Yeah. So I'm like, now I need to see how this works out. And like, as a result, I kind of was like, I'm going to watch Raw and SmackDown and see like how bad the main roster is. And it is not ideal, but like I watched so much WWE stuff that on top of what we watched for me to the episode, I don't even know if I can technically be called sane anymore. <laughs> I think just your like, reality is just very reality is just very strange right now. So I apologize. Yeah, so that was my thing. Was like I watched just like a like ridiculous amount of WWE stuff to see, just to check in and see what was going on. I don't I don't know why you keep doing it. Every it sounds like every time, every time I do, you do because I wanted to see this eye for an eye thing. Like they they it once it start, I was like how are how are they going to do this? Like are they legit going to gouge one of these guys' eyes out and then have them show up on Raw the next night with an eye patch or something? Like what the fuck are they going to do? Pirates so, at, at WWE, all pirates it was, all the time. It was, pirates, what did pirates, they pirates. do? Well, they did like a terrible special effect thing, and then like they they used the technicality of like it was like removed from the eye socket, but not disconnected, and therefore could be put back in, put back in, oh, kind man, of thing. And I was like, good. it's first of all gross, and second, like it was just. Disc- and then they had one of them puke, like the guy who did it to Rey Mysterio, Seth. Uh, Seth Rollins like goes and throws up after the fact too so they had like a nice on camera puke take on top of everything and I was just like what is this jackass shit like <laughs> who the fuck is signing off on this like this is a multi-million dollar company yeah. oh my god so I was like I'm good I'm done I'm not watching this anymore so until the next okay, time but... that you talk about WWE yeah when yeah, they, yeah. When they do like a butthole for a butthole or whatever <laughs> well, <they're>... that's like <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. Like they really, they got me based on just like I'm like, how stupid can they possibly be with these like with this i with this match idea? Yeah. Oh nope, they can get dumber, and they did. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I'll uh, I'll see you next Monday, Vince. Basically, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. See you for raw. Yeah. Nice. So my geek of the week this week, Jihoon and I have we dove right into the food documentaries on Netflix because we kept trying things like series to watch and they all turned out to be bad. I will talk about it later <laughs> for my geek cred. 
but we watch street food and there is an episode in Seoul where they go to a place called Gwangjong Market, which is near the big fashion area called Dongdaemun, which is only like six or seven stops away from my apartment. So we decided to go eat the food that we saw on Netflix, which was delicious. It's We had a mung bean pancake, mm. um, which is like a super savory, crunchy pancake that's kind of like a a doughy hash brown. Yeah. Like, it was real. It was really good. And then we had raw beef with a raw egg cracked onto it with, like, sweet onions underneath. It was called uh, yukwe. And then we had it's called uh, more tartar. fried dough. Well, it's called yukwe because <laughs> you, it's in Korea, and they pre- they prepare it a particular way. And you dip it in this oil with salt and pepper, and it's really super delicious. What else? Um, donuts and hoduk, which is like a sweet pancake with like honey melted inside, like the hot honey inside of it. Oh my God. We just ate a lot yesterday. It was so good. All based on this. And when you go into Guangzhou market, they have all these Netflix signs, like as seen on Netflix, our food. <laughs> and, um, it's great. So if you guys ever are able to travel to Seoul, South Korea, we can recommend yeah, or anywhere that is or anywhere period. <laughs> the food that is on this documentary is totally legit. We didn't, the, the main lady that they portrayed on this particular episode was, uh, made kalguksu, which is a like hand cut Chinese noodles, but it there, we don't like, it's kind of bland and not super interesting. So maybe not that, but the, the mung bean pancake, 100% worth, it's worth the $4 for this giant deep fried piece of deliciousness. Yeah, that's what so, I love about street yeah. food is that like, it's, delicious and it's always just super fucking cheap fucking cheap yeah we uh, we had these twist donuts that were fresh out of the the fryer for a dollar yeah it was they were delicious like so good almost not quite as good as grandma's donuts but uh a good substitute if you're missing those things like our 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 grandma makes really good homemade donuts but um they have donuts that they freshly make that have like a sweet red bean paste in the middle of it to die for like kazuki bean oh. paste yeah yeah in uh korea they call it they just call it pot mm-hmm. and it's really good really really good um so yeah food nerdery being foodies and all that stuff super fun all right now it's time for the meat of the episode now sissy that meat <laughs> yeah is this tucked meat or untucked meat? Is this <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> We have to start with tucked meat, and then we get to go into the, uh, the interior land. illusions lands to have the untucked meat. <laughs> Does that count as me cooperating with the sting, which I'm against? They, which so. you did. You did. You interacted did. with the sting. <laughs> so uh, a precedent uh, has been. I feel unclean. You look, you look so disappointed in yourself. I am very disappointed in myself <laughs> right now. But I couldn't. I had to take the joke. It was too easy. Yeah. So I have finally dropped the bomb on Dance Robot Dance and forced my co-host to watch an entire season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, Say it right. You dropped the glitter bomb on us. It's never going to come out now. Yeah, so. it's true. Because you may as well burn the house down. Yeah. It, yeah. What it, like When COVID dropped, a lot of drag queens had the joke of like, it's just like glitter. It once one person is it's on one person, it's on everybody. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've made the boys watch season six of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is considered one of the best entry points to the series at this point because it 
it doesn't have the growing pains of the original three seasons, while at the same time has still kind of like the newness and the charm of the like original stuff that isn't quite as well, it's still pretty produced and manufactured, but not as much because it's become so popular on social media. A lot of the queens are a lot more aware of how the fans tend to react to certain things on social media. So this is a little bit more unfiltered and stuff. So we got season six. Very excited to talk about it. So I want to talk about first initial reactions of like just the experience of watching the whole thing. Tim, go ahead. I should not have watched this all in like three days. Uh, yeah, yeah. Watching it in a condensed schedule was not a good idea for no, me either. I, sh- I should have so spaced this out for one. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I very much got like a project runway feel, but like with the cattiness of like keeping up the Kardashians, except with drag queens and like a bit of Big Brother. And like, I've admitted on the podcast, like I like some reality TV none of those shows though so (laughs) there was a lot of this that like was not for me but i still ended up getting invested in it and like there were certain you know i I, there was people that you know queens i was rooting for and shit like that so like it's i won't say i i I didn't not enjoy it it's Mm -hmm. but it's not something i think i'm gonna go back to on the regular sure (laughs) and mark how about you well, like, unlike Tim, I fucking hate reality TV. Uh, I think I've made that very clear. Like, I don't watch anything like this. And I like I never watched anything. Like, I never got into Survivor, like any of the early stuff, like even stuff like game show stuff I don't like. So this was an experience for me because I don't like this format <laughs> to begin with. But I came out pretty entertained. Like, they tell a pretty, like, they, they tell a very basic, but like kind of good story in here. So like, they know what they're doing. It's yeah. like, it's as staged as wrestling, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's this, it, they're two sides of the same fucking coin, basically. Like, it's crazy how many parallels, though, were while I was watching this. And I was just like, man, this is just like watching Raw. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Well, speaking of Raw, um, one of the things that people always look forward to. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gross. You're the one who used that as a segue. I know. I'm sorry. I, I know. It's fun though. This is, a, this is the kind of joke that we that RuPaul's Drag Race fans. I, no, no, for. and we that's and that's it. why I was laughing because yeah. it's like I'm like, oh, we're just telling jokes like they would tell them. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So the one of the big things that <laughs> big things that everyone looks forward <laughs> to uh, when uh, a new season rolls around is the workroom entrance. Like, there's always that first impression of the queens. This happens every season where the queens walk in, they pose for the camera, maybe say a catchphrase. And some of the catchphrases have been super successful, and some of them have been cringy as shit. And, like, so I want to get your reaction on the workroom entrances. Who stood out to you? Who was memorable who faded into the background on like when they first walked into the workroom because i'm I'm curious because ever a lot of people have a lot of varying reactions on this go ahead what do you think and well i i it, it kind of to me it kind of gave the game away a little bit because they really emphasized the people who ended up winning you know what i mean like it felt like there was a couple of people who were like key to the drama of the season that they emphasize also yeah. but the three people who end up as the finalists 
they immediately start emphasizing right at the top. So I was like, oh, these seem to be like the main characters that we're going with this year. So mm. fun times. And they do a lot, um, a lot more cuts to them, like in the, the yeah, they get a lot more reactions. Them, yeah. yeah. But um, either, like, but in terms of like people actually walking in, I, I remember specifically the Australian Courtney Act. Like yeah. her walking in, I was like, holy shit, that's not, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> I, didn't like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a woman. Like, yeah. What, what <laughs> <are you doing laughs> here? Exactly. I was like, well, they, they made jokes about that afterwards. And I was like, yep, I totally was like, that's a girl. Like, that's, yeah. Well, no, yeah. wait, no, it's not. All right, cool. So that one was that one. That's the one that stuck with me. And then, like, yeah, a couple of the other more. Like, I think it's more about the way the outfits are when they walk in. So, like, when Milk walks in, or who else really vivacious like, with her <laughs> vivacious. And then, like, <laughs> the best is when you go. We haven't on. So, yeah, like they talk about like she couldn't get the fucking zipper undone. And I was just like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. I like that because like they kept that in, and because it it contributes to a little bit more of like the quote-unquote reality of the the ridiculous situation because they are still yeah. drag queens do like and they put a, a lot of these queens make all their own looks before the show starts yeah like once once they get the call that they're on there's they just get out their sewing machines and start sewing a lot nowadays a lot of them work with designers mm-hmm. and pay them to make their costumes for them but a lot of the queens can't afford it so I mean, in this season, that's pretty to... clearly what Courtney Act was doing. Like, she, you know, it sounds yeah. like was not much of a sewer at all. And so she was definitely, a, a lot of her stuff, I think, was professionally made. Yeah. But they make a big deal about, like, the sewing being a big part of, like, the required toolkit of what they're doing on a yeah. day. And yet they still so. bring people in that, like, obviously can't back and sew. Just, and... yeah, that really, that shit was really, like, the production side of that, that kind of stuff, I was like, why would you, even, like, this is annoying more than well, anything. To and me. even a door, is... one of the finalists, like, could not fucking sew yeah. for, to save her life. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is a, uh, a trope in RuPaul's Drag Race since season two. Like, why are the, all these girls who can't sew on Drag Race? Don't you know that you have to take a sewing class? Because the one of the queens, who you guys probably are already familiar with, is Shangela, because she was on Community, Yes. She is notorious for not being able to sew. And she's been on three separate seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. And even on the the last season where she almost won, she still could not sew to save her (laughs) life. And so it's become a running gag that, like, queens who don't know how to sew, like, either they learn how to hot glue shit to death, which you see in some other seasons, like, or even on this season, Ben de la Creme making that. Uh, yeah, no, they talk about it. They talk about like, hot like you're hot glued into this dress and this, that, yeah. and the other thing, like in yeah. the, the critiques and stuff. Yeah. During the season. So it's all about the yeah. make it work, make it work room. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, in my first initial viewing, like some of the entrances for this particular season have made it into mimetic status in the RuPaul's Drag Race community, especially Laganja's Let's Get Sickening. Yeah. <laughs> Into yeah, we the... have to have a long conversation about Laganja at some oh, point. We're gonna, oh, we're going to talk about oh, all of, all the drama makers this season. We have to have a conversation about. G- and Gia like, Gunn with that fucking massive ass purse. like that. Per- yeah, the definitely. hula hoop purse. Yeah, that one definitely stuck out. Which was a remake of a... I don't remember which fashion designer had made those, but a lot of the queens will make, a, make straight up replicas of dresses and accessories from big designing houses for like just for fun to make a statement because it shows that they like 
do their homework in terms of fashion. And Gia definitely is one of those queens who um, does her homework on fashion, if absolutely nothing else. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. does she do any other homework for anything else ever? I, I really don't think so, honestly. Yeah. She's, a, she's, a, she's an issue. Um, <laughs> she's still an issue to this day, but we'll talk about it. Yeah, so another, yeah, Vivacious was one that a lot of people talk about. Milk, for sure, Adore, was a big one for me. Yeah, yeah. Milk, milk for sure. Milk like is always very visually striking from yeah. a distance. He's a cute boy, so he's got a big fan base on Instagram, like for his boy looks. But his drag, her drag, depending on time of day, whatever, <laughs> tends to be very weird and great. I like Milk's aesthetic. Yeah. Had a very bad showing on All Stars three, though. We will, that's for another time. We'll talk about All Stars another time. <laughs> So we this season was the first season to do a split premiere. So we had more time to focus on individual queens at the in the premiere. Yes, uh, Rue had with two big openings this season. Two big openings. Yes, and I, uh, I do. I gotta say, like this is the, that's the fucking like drag shit that works for me is the raunch humor. That's right up, like yeah. right up all our fucking alleys. Come on. Yeah, yeah. The, the puns, the uh, the Not, the grody puns yeah. and stuff. I was like, I was growing like. Everything was a groaner, but yeah. like all of them were good. Like I was laughing at most of them, so I yeah. can't. I can forgive a lot of it's it. It's not yeah. the pun, like the puns. I still fucking groan at. It's just like the yeah. the straight up like raunch humor and shit like that, where they're like just you know talking about each other being sluts and shit. And I was yeah. I was surprised by like the language. I didn't realize that this was going to be like like balls to the wall, f bombs, and like oh, yeah. it was. It, it, I didn't. I'd never. I, I don't think I'd really seen. I, all I had seen of this before was like clips where it was like edited for tv yeah. i guess probably yeah so everything's bleeped so i was like when they started actually doing the show and they're like just cussing each other out i was like all right i'm on board if, like yes. this- yeah yeah i would i don't think i would have been able to make it through this season if it was like censored or edited for you know net- network yeah. tv or some shit yeah. well there's no way they could have done it it would have been like one long bleep for like three or four of the last episodes anytime like, bianca talks which is bianca well, by the time, i was gonna yeah. say by the time it's basically just bianca Dor, and courtney you're like there's just one you long only, string of f-bombs you only hear courtney you don't hear anything from bianca or Adore. yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah, it's just f-bobs constantly well then if courtney had had more screen time maybe she would have had a chance of winning in that top three but like the way that the storyline had worked this season it was not going to go in her favor and also apparently courtney act was very critical of rupaul in general for a lot of like the transphobic stuff that was going on in this the show as it was happening mm-hmm. so which is fair because like uh, in season six we have you've got she which is yeah not a good thing no, I, there was Which, a bunch of stuff like that that I was like, yeah, there was a couple that I was like, wait, what? Looking at wait. this from the outside, that doesn't seem okay. But like, it's so weird for for me because like I know a lot of a lot of drag is trying to reclaim some of those like terms and and yeah and and just uh, yeah. words and stuff like that. Um, but like, yeah, that that one but, in particular r- rang real wrong for me. Yeah, well, the problem with the way that RuPaul's Drag Race exists is that it is run by gay men and is very exclusive and ex- and particularly exclusionary to trans women. Now, say what you will about Gia Gunn, and we will talk about her more, but she is she has transitioned, and she is a woman, and she has returned for uh, an all-star season like after a lot of the more transphobic stuff has been phased out, but she gets a particularly villainous or played down edit in all-stars four and 
that is somewhat deserving because she is kind of a villain in real life too but like um not because she's a trans woman because she's like she an just anti- wants she's an to play the hero. Yeah. 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 Oh, she's, well, really, she's really good at producing reality television. She makes conflict out of nothing. She's great <laughs> at it. So yeah. like I love watching her as a villain like what what she's good at. But um at the same time like RuPaul's Drag Race is still struggling with trans inclusion. And yeah. so like I struggle with that as a fan of the show. G- I mean Gia was even making like what could be class i definitely gender related insults to people like when when she left she basically said like y'all are still just a bunch of dudes cross-dressing and shit like that yeah and like i i i don't know but i imagine that that's a fucking like deep cut insult to a drag queen i mean it, it is and it isn't but it would be it would be more of an insult if there were other trans identified contestants in that group which i don't believe there were at that point in the in the season so like the, the one of the things looking back on Gia's run in season six is that she's so she hates when she's like I don't like messy queens I don't like manly queens all that stuff yeah. she's a very particular idea of what drag should be because I think that it was in part because she was still wrestling with her trans identity yeah and was like um, she saw drag as a way that she could be her true self and when she saw drag that rather was, than being performance yeah, and she saw someone like Milk's drag, which was gender fuck mostly. Yeah, it probably made her maybe made her really uncomfortable. But I think that je- Milk's, but that doesn't make Milk's drag invalid. It's just a different kind of drag than what Gia tends to subscribe to, which is all fish. Which fishiness, for those of you who don't know, is how much you appear to be a woman. Which sounds like a very misogynistic idea which it is i mean so, yeah like, it, like that's another it. term that like i'm I'm assuming is based off catfishing it's no it's but it was this is pre-catfishing okay so it's like the fish smell mm. guys yeah okay so, so problematic yeah. just in a different way than Don't i thought even work yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so we've got yeah we've got some terminology in that where it's already a controversial thing for like straight people don't know any about any of this stuff. And even myself as a gay white dude from like suburban Ontario <laughs> was still learning about it as I was going along. And you just kind of have to like RuPaul's drag race kind of has to evolve with the times or get left in the dust mm. as it were. But season six was where things started changing for the I think for the better in some cases and for the worse in other cases. But uh, yeah, I want to talk about some of the the characters on the, like, so you guys, you guys mentioned that you saw that there were going to be winners from the get-go and stuff like that. Did you guys foresee what the top three was going to be from the get-go or? I, like... I had a feeling of a couple of them, but yeah. I, I purposefully try not to read that stuff too much like because i i like to sort of just go along for the ride but i mean i definitely had ones that i wanted to see go all uh, go to the end and one of them did and one yeah oh. my uh my my th- yeah okay so that was my favorite too actually because like from the beginning i was like that's yeah that's my queen for this season i yeah. think because bianca was awesome yeah. but yeah uh, bianca is great 
I think I think it was it was almost like they I mean they obviously know who's the winner when they're editing this together, right? Like the season gets shot and then they cut it together to put it yeah. in. So like yeah. they they I think I just know too much about production <laughs> when it comes to that kind of thing because they they're clearly emphasizing they emphasize Bianca. I mean, at first you could argue that's just because she's the funniest one of the bunch because she really is. Yeah. She's yeah. I mean she and she plays the camera so well. Yeah, absolutely. And then like uh Cotton the Act and Adore were both like they went to them a lot and like Adore always had all this drama, but always seemed like they did the underdog thing with her, right? Like she was the Daniel Bryan of this season of Yeah. Drag race where it's like, can he win the title because Triple H is keeping him down? <laughs> like just can't get his shit together or whatever. Like that's it's one of those kinds of stories. Yeah. So I was like, they're gonna totally go with her because she's got personality to boot on top of everything else. Yeah. So that's gonna be a big story. Cotton Act's not gonna like allow herself to not be in the middle of it and is too polished to not do very well against everybody else very yeah. early on. So I was like, these three feel like they're probably going to be more important than the rest of them. And they could tell from the cuts very quickly that like, yeah, they are kind of are. Yeah. So yeah. did you guys get a sense of other Queens on the season who you thought were going to go further that didn't? I, when I first watched this, I thought that Bendel Creme was a shoe in for the top three. Yeah personally and then when she didn't perform particularly well in the lip syncs i was like oh okay so maybe she's like and the fact that darian lake started off pretty low and then uh a lip sync assassined her way <laughs> her and trinity k bonet assassinating their way through lip syncs to make it like to top six top four I was like pretty surprised by that when I first watched top this seven Trinity Cable. Yeah. Trinity, Trinity. Top seven. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I, I, I really like Ben Delacrime off the bat as well. Like her, her whole like mid-century camp shtick works perfectly for me. Cause like, that's, I, I was, I was assuming that would, she was going to be your she favorite was, she was, when I was watching. She was it. definitely one of my, one of the ones I was rooting for. Fair enough. Darian Lake was another one that I was rooting for right off the bat. And so it was nice to see her get all the way to like number four. And the, the one that I was, that I was really disappointed didn't get further than she did was vivacious. Yeah. And part of that might just be, be because like, I'm, not as familiar with the the you know format of the show or whatever like how people or you know who who moves forward and who tends not to kind of thing but like i i just i was concerned when she was up for elimination in the very first episode and then yeah like third episode she was eliminated um but i i just i love the i love those like og kind of people in in sort of any culture right and she was like yeah. one of those like og new york drag queens kind of thing right like yeah. you could see that Pumpkin. like yeah exactly you see that like rue and michelle and some of the other judges like had a real appreciation for that and i was very surprised that they knocked her out as early as they did and in part it seemed because like they almost seemed like they were punishing her for having that style rather than the drag queen style that plays better on drag race that was just my yeah. take on it. I'm not sure if that's if that's you know me reading it too much or no. You've hit the nail on the head with a lot of with drag race in general is that it is a particular format and it kind kind of combines reality TV drag pageants, which are a thing, and the club culture. Yeah. And so it's like a cross section of all these three with like a social media campaign to go along with it. Right. And so you have queens like currently Drag Race Canada is happening. The first season is happening, and Tainomi Banks, who is probably the most famous uh, Toronto drag queen, everybody knows Tainomi, did 
pretty poorly on the show. Like everyone knows she's a fierce fucking queen and can command a room, but you on Drag Race you have to be able to sew and act and dance and sometimes sing. Uh, and this season in particular, singing was an asset and like design and work stand up comedy. Like the amount of talent. And the number of different talents that you have to exhibit on Drag Race compared to shows that are usually single talent. Like, if you can sing, you go on American Idol. If you can sew, you go on Project Runway. If you, But being a drag queen is so all-encompassing that like yeah. a lot of queens who are really good at one aspect of drag don't particularly go far. And I think that also makes the show, I mean, obviously the judging is super subjective. You know, it's basically yeah. comes down to whoever the fuck Rue and probably also the producers want to get off. Phrasing. Phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> but in that case, like, I, I felt like they might have been actively gunning for Vivacious because they saw that she wasn't really gunning for the other girls the way some of the some of the other queens were like she yeah she was there like she was a very motherly figure she was like trying to be really supportive of everybody else and yeah she had like a little bit of shade behind their backs but i feel like yeah. it wasn't what they were looking for right like they're looking for queens that have friction with each other and that fucking like yeah. make drama for the cameras and they're like look this bitch is just gonna be like fucking like happy you know supportive mama queen the whole season so She's not really yeah, gonna do much for our early, yeah, yeah. She's not really gonna do much for our ratings. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there there is the concept of filler queens, where like queens that get get on the show are there to fill out the roster rather than actually be favored by production. And that has bitten them in the ass so many times that you'd think that they would stop doing that and give everyone more of a fair shake. But production has their favorites, and so like Bianca and Adore and Courtney were obvious favorites because they were they did well on camera we uh, we knew that uh adore and courtney both had reality tv experience and vivacious was just really not comfortable on camera and you could see that in that in the horror movie yeah challenge. yeah the scream queens great, challenge the scream scream queens challenge which i adored it's one of my favorite <laughs> uh challenges on rupaul's drag race history it's so good because it's so bad yeah. but this idea of filler queens like on season 11 like you got got a quote-unquote filler filler queen in, in sugar cane who ended up being a fan favorite and got eliminated in such a way that people were really confused and it was clear that they were producing her out of the show mm. even though she was on the challenge he clearly wasn't even close to the worst and so you get these weird moments on this show where like the judging seems really not just subjective but like like they were watching an entirely different thing than you were and you feel like and so we get the the concept of social media banding together behind robbed queens queens that they believe should have won but didn't and that can lead to um, a lot of white queens getting favored over black queens and like some weird racist shit that goes on in the, the drag race community, which yeah. oh, man, uh, well, we'll talk about I, that. I have some shit time. to say about that too, but, but going back to what you were saying about like, you have to have a lot of different skills in order to do this. I think one of the problems that I saw, I think Ben de la Creme could have gone further than she did, but part of the issue was that some of those early challenges were ones that she wasn't as strong in. Whereas they were things that like Bianca and well, maybe not Adore, but like uh, Courtney were doing better at. Whereas like sh she did sort of really come into her own, but it was later on. And I think she'd already kind of dropped out of contention for like those final few spots at that point. 
Yeah, and I think that yeah, because she kind of got quote unquote saved in the that lip sync at the end where there was the, what we call the double chante, where both queens get to stay after the lip sync, which yeah. happens sometimes. Uh, usually happens about once a season uh, in the the regular seasons, and so yeah, Ben, ben de la Creme started off strong. Um, and then decided, I guess, like, I don't know. She didn't do particularly well in that stand-up challenge. Like, she really dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. And then, in terms of race issues, like, I definitely got the sense that there were some some race issues at play here. I mean, you could look at, like, when they were picking teams, like, yeah, Gia Gunn and Trinity K. Bonet were both just, like, heinous fucking hateful bitches. But they were also, like, constantly getting picked last for challenges and, and you know, for teams and stuff like that. And so it's hard to know if that was, you know, if there is, like, an inherent little bit of, like, a racial preference for some of these queens or not. But I don't know. Uh, and then, and then again, it. the fact that Vivacious was, like, one of the very first ones uh, that was eliminated as well. Yeah, it's weird because in season two, the winner, Tyra Sanchez, was considered to be the a lesser favored winner. And so the white queen, who was second place, Raven, has was, the whole Raven was robbed narrative still continues to this day. And there's such a strong, obvious racial component to that. And black queens in the fandom generally get treated very poorly compared to white queens. Like, if you look at unfortunately like one of the metrics that we have for judging queen popularity is the number of instagram followers they have and it's always the white queens who hit one million first or mm. whoever hits two million first and unless you have a particularly good niche like plastic tiara who's an asian queen but no has a really strong tiktok game has hit three million followers before anybody else but that's because she's playing a totally different game than the other queens yeah and like in this season too, like Asian queens, like Gia Gunn seem to have real issues with like Trinity and to a lesser extent vivacious. And that unfortunately plays into those stereotypes of like Asian people having a lot of racist issues against uh, black people as well. Yeah. And vice versa. I mean, it's, there's a lot of like problems, like a lot of racial. And both of them were really young challenges. as well, which I don't think helped yeah. either. Like neither of them had really matured to the point where they were. I think able to accept different kinds of drag besides the kind that they were really, you know, that they personally liked and were into and were representing. Yeah. Per performance wise. Yeah. Now, speaking of Gia and Trinity and uh, Laganja, I want to talk about Laganja, <laughs> the Queens that created the drama this season. I want to talk about it because this is like part of the fun of drag race is like watching some Queens just spontaneously combust is it is it, uh, is it really fun well see this is where this is where i have yeah i'm in the same boat i think as tim we're like because like a lot and like i'm not even a cringe like the cringe humor stuff too also kind of like makes me really uncomfortable so like yeah when you just have a group of people crying and it's forced drama like that i get like i don't want to watch this kind of like yeah, tense. Yeah. yeah and like this show was like yeah, it was a lot of that. Yeah. So. But it, it's this acknowledgement that this was a super uncomfortable moment that it w is why it got picked up as a meme, I guess. And like people are very changed their tune on Laganja in recent years because like uh, some she's come out 
recently in interviews saying this was a re- like season six was a really bad time for me mentally like like drag race is no not shit. really was not really the the venue for me especially at that time but she said that she would come back for an all-star season now that she see- feels more mentally stable and prepared for what all of that tv drama entails but the i feel very attacked meme has transcended drag race fandom and entered the mainstream yeah i'd seen it before this too so yeah 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 a lot of uh the the memes especially like gia and laganja are just meme factories the two of them together they have are probably some of the most quotable queens that we've ever had on the show Especially like Gia's absolutely, oh, which everyone loves. No, uh, yeah, I knew, it's I knew so you would have that reaction. But like looking like pussy, looking like cunt, or what else did she have? Oh, oh, I guess there's room for everyone. Or was there no budget this time around? Like all of those quotes have just are constantly reposted on the subreddit of RuPaul's Drag Race, constantly. Yeah. Like as much as people see Gia Gunn as like a reality show villain and a an anti-mask covid bitch is she really also, she is and she uh was showing symptoms of a fever and was denied entrance into a brunch restaurant and she started trying to drag the restaurant on social media and Jesus everyone kind of it backfired hard on her she's not she she goes back and forth because she's very she's a very prominent trans activist now she like she documented her entire transitional journey online and so like people like to see that and like that she's owning her trans identity but her interpersonal skills as just a human being leave a lot to be desired as we saw (laughs) in untucked on when she was coming for milk and the fact that jocelyn fox outfoxed her like just calling her Jocelyn Fox, who I adore, who is I think was as one of those fan favorites, which who was cast as a filler queen and went further than production expected her to, was like calling Gia Gun ignorant. It was just like yeah, that was it was kind of delicious to watch. <laughs> that was one of the better untucked moments. But yeah, Gia Gun annoyed the shit out of me for sure. Like she seemed like over the top caddy. Like, in a way that just wasn't entertaining. It was just really fucking hard to watch. And, like, vapid as fuck, too. Yeah. Like, her complete ignorance of pop culture on multiple occasions really bothered me. Because, like, that's one of the things that I love about... Like, I love drag queens that could be on fucking, like, Mystery Science Theater, right? You know, that are just up there, like, fucking dropping pop culture references left and right. And she's obviously, like, the exact opposite of that type of drag queen. Yeah, she is very much like she likes clothes and she watches very popular reality TV drama. Like she knows who the Kardashians are, obviously. <laughs> no shit. Uh, very obviously. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much. But uh, speaking of pop cultural references, I want to talk about Snatch Game next. And in terms of uh, like Gia Gunn and the villains of the this season, like a lot of the quote unquote heroes or like the protagonists of the season did very well on the Snatch Game. And the Snatch Game is a uh, drag race institution now. It's been on every season since season two. Snatch Game is almost just as much for the great performances as the poor performances. But the season six Snatch Game is considered to be one of the classics. 
and mostly because of the top three performances, which would be Bianca as Judge Judy. Yeah. Adore, Adore as as Anna Nicole Smith, like, like and, drunk, drunk and drugged out of her fucking mind, Anna Nicole Smith. Oh yeah, <laughs> and Ben de la Creme as Maggie Smith. Yeah, and I knew Mark. I had a feeling Mark would appreciate this because Gillian Jacobs was the guest yes. judge on that particular episode. What did you guys think of Snatch Game? Did you guys laugh? I did actually. Like the um, and like the ones you called out specifically were like were pretty good, especially like Dor doing Anna Nicole Smith, like. We kind of came of age and Nicole Smith was like a big deal in the news all the time. So yeah. like I spent a lot of time seeing Anna Nicole Smith crap everywhere yeah. <laughs> for those couple years. Yeah. And they she kind of nailed it. Like it was pretty like it felt pretty spot on. So you like my body. <laughs> yeah. <want> some money? <laughs> so that was pretty good. And then like what I really liked, too, was like the uh, like the Maggie Smith one in particular. Like they, they were like and like, yeah, like it was a risky move. Right. Because like Rue came in and was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And then like she kind of crushed it on them. And it almost felt like RuPaul was trying to like and that almost felt like one of those like super scripted moments where she was trying to guide the the narrative a little bit yeah and the, the the queen just did not fucking play along at all and then ended up fucking the narrative over a little bit that they were trying yeah. to push yeah and then winning the challenge she fucking yeah because yeah, yeah. she crushed the challenge and yeah. like you know what i mean so See, this is a weird thing because there, every snatch game there's always going to be like rue often does guide people in the right direction when it comes to like well you didn't make me laugh in this very like right off the cuff workroom moment so how are you going to do this in snatch game like what do you have prepared and so like i think ben de la creme was playing her cards very close to the chest oh yeah she definitely would she'd under promise and over deliver a lot yeah and that was that's like that's how you fucking do it you know what i mean like so yeah the thing is like sometimes queens just know they're going to do a really fucking good job and like they're like the other great snatch game in history is the All Stars Two snatch game, which featured Alaska as Mae West, which and uh, Katya as Bjork, which is one just transcendently good. And but Alaska was like, "I'm doing Mae West, and I'm going to show you right now how fucking good this is." And like, it was still even funnier in the snatch game. <laughs> like sometimes the queens just can like are built for that kind of improv humor, and some of them are very much not. I mean, like. When you've got a terrible Snatch Game performance like Trinity K. Bonet, where she's doing her oh, Nicki God. Minaj very badly, and she tries to come for Ben de la Creme as Maggie Smith, and is like, what language is she even speaking? And can you have her speak English? And Ben de la Creme in character, well, we originated the language, <laughs> and just creates one of those incredible TV moments. That is one of the reasons people love RuPaul's Drag Race. It's like moments like that where you're like, where did how the, how is this happening right now? Where a man impersonating Maggie Smith as a Dowager Countess is shutting down Nicki Minaj yeah. with a, a colonialist English joke. <laughs> it's just like, what is this reality that we are living in that this exists? But I fucking love it. It's so good. Yeah, but Laganja as Rachel Zoe and uh, Gia Gunn. What did Gia Gunn was? She was Kim, Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah, she, was, she was originally going to be Serena. 
<laughs> Selena. So, oh, Selena. 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 Yeah, Selena. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, the, the one that died. And uh yeah. and 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 Rue was like, How are you gonna make that funny? And she's like, I don't know. And Gia Gunn has bombed two Snatch games. Like she has gone home. She went home on Snatch Game in All Stars 4 as well. She was doing Jenny Bowie, who is a uh, a nail technician to the stars on Instagram or something mm. like that. Anyway, Snatch Game is one of those ones where you either want, like, if you excel and you know you can excel, you have to knock it out of the park and being safe. Because if you think you can do well and bomb, it could be very bad for you overall in the season. Mm. There, there have been, like, transcendently bad performances that have entered meme status later on. Like, Trixie Mattel doing RuPaul in All-Stars 3. Like, if you're going to impersonate RuPaul in the room with RuPaul, you'd better be fucking great. And <laughs> she was not. So, yeah. What else? We should get to the end. So, would you watch another season of RuPaul's Drag Race? Like, would you, like, if someone was going to curate it for you and tell you this is the next season to watch, would you do it? If, yeah, I'm assuming this is one of those questions where you're being, you're you're trying to f- put out a feeler about this to whether you will be able to assign any more of this for us. <laughs> I would watch another season of it. Like I had fun watching it once I kind of got in the groove of it. I need to. We would. I would like more time <laughs> because I mainlined a lot of dumb shit this week, and I think I lost about twenty fucking points off my IQ. <laughs> and it's not all because of Drag Race. It's mostly because of Vince McMahon, but. Drag Race did not help matters any. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I'd probably watch another one. It's not something again, but it, like it because of the format of it, like as reality TV, it's just not something I'm ever going to go and like seek out myself ever. Cause I just don't, I've never watched this stuff. So I don't know, but I was way more entertained by this than I was expecting to be, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, Tim, how about you? Uh, I mean, I think it's clear from this discussion that we all got, like we got invested in it to you know there's yeah. definitely you know we were, yeah. we had people we were rooting for and everything and and I you know I I would watch I'd watch another season at some point like just for like fucking amazing reads and raunch humor and shit like that and like yeah you have to but like you'd have to pick the season that was like you have to pick the one like another good one like this one basically yeah. like I don't just want to watch like rando like this is milk toast RuPaul's Drag Race but like, I want I think I this is the kind of thing where like if you're going to curate it for me I'm fine with that but I'm never going to go and just be like I need to binge it all probably yeah exactly yeah. like I this isn't yeah. a show that I'm ever going to feel like I need to watch every season of one yeah, thing yeah. is if I did watch another season I think I would want i i found myself really wanting more of the untucked stuff on the main show yes agreed just because that like it gives a lot more depth to the people that are behind those characters behind the queens yeah and yeah and so like if i think if i watched it again what i would do is watch the episode watch the untucked for that episode watch the next episode rather than what we did end up doing which is watch the whole the whole main season and then watch the whole season of untucked yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that would balance things out a like, lot better for me. Yeah, because I assigned you guys the regular season, thinking uh, maybe they're not going to care about Untucked that much, even though I like I I love Untucked almost as much as I love the main show. I ended up liking it more than the main show. Yeah, by and large. So S- season six, like the Untucked format changes in the next season, and it's a lot more like 
intimate and like behind the scenes y and very like um it's still produced to an extent but not to the extent where it's like two separate rooms and they have like the furry pink boxes gone and stuff like that like they don't have like reality tv prompts happening right in front of you it's kind of like just let's have conversations yeah kind of thing a little less scripted. and then I, a little less scripted and so, but it can still lead to some pretty awesome moments yeah, yeah. so but yeah so i, I, I would also yeah. I, I would watch another season but i it's gonna i need a break <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's gonna have to be at least a few months, I think, before I watch another season. Because, like, holy shit, the show was an assault on the senses. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Like, my so, eyes yeah. were sore at the end of like yeah. with all the sequins and sparkles. Yeah. Well, that's the last thing I wanted to go with: fashion highlights, moments or comedy moments that really stood out to you in this season. Like, there's always like for me. One of the things that there's a episode 13 is a clip show and they show like highlights, but they don't always match my particular sensibility. And so like there were runway moments in season six and comedy moments in season six that just like blow my mind that were so good. Like Trinity's domino dress or dice dress or Bendela Krem's fly look, which I guess is a really popular look even among the fandom. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Yeah, the uh, fly was the one that I kind of had in my notes. I was like, that's actually like interesting design on top yeah. of everything. Cor- uh, Courtney Act's game-changing like bird look. Oh, the angel? The angel thing. wing, like yeah. the Victoria's Secret style, like huge yeah. like angel wing apparatus. Which I couldn't was... believe they actually, uh, that was what got me on that one was like, she's walking up with this giant backpack. And I'm like, what is, is this like, gonna? and then they were like functional wings. I was like, that's pretty like, yeah. that's intense. Yeah. So. If we're talking about Courtney Act, I've got to get this in because I could not fucking stand that bitch. The whole goddamn yeah. oh really like she she was kind of, like she was my low key favorite because oh. she was like the ultimate Ric Flair heel yeah like yeah. she was a hundred percent knew exactly the bitch she was yeah. and just like rolled with it the whole yeah. time and I was like I'm on board I'm on board I like the cocky heel though like the one that walks in and is like I am fucking better than all of you like eat it yeah. like I like that character a lot well, so it, yeah. I had a lot of time for her uh. but. I could see how she would great. Yeah. yeah. And she's definitely in there like doing this like big fish in a bigger pond kind of thing. Like she's like, yeah. I'm the fucking like best drag queen of all of Australia. It's like, yeah, well, fucking Australia is tiny compared to America, bitch. And like coming in there being like, I won Australian Idol. I was like, yeah, that's fucking Australian Idol. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about Courtney Act because her tra- trajectory has been very interesting. So she came on RuPaul's Drag Race and she's very much the kind of drag queen that the public likes because she's so fishy. She's like a, a, a female illusionist to the nth degree when she because she is actually gender fluid. Like she perceives herself as a woman when she's dressed as a woman yeah. and goes by she her pronouns like exclusively when she's in in drag or at, like in girl mode is probably more an accurate term for her. And so um, she's not the kind of drag queen like Bianca, who is like a, a clown, like a mm-hmm. paint, like a, a man in a wig, like, and owns that to an, uh, uh, the nth degree. And so she is very well liked by people because like the transition between man and woman is so, like organic and and she she's cute in both modes right like relying on that, woman. that body yaddy yaddy relying on that body it was funny to me that they made such a big deal out of that like 
I, I, I don't know. Either way, whatever. Th- this was before um, boy body in drag became more accepted. Like, if you look at season 10 of Drag Race with Aquaria, um, Aquaria barely ever padded and, like, very, very rarely had a classically drag voluptuous uh, drag shape. And she still, like, did amazing on that season. Not going to spoil anything, but, like, did amazing on that season. And, like, but boy body became a lot more accepted on the main stage starting in season seven with Violet Tchotchke and then moving on from there. So like even in season six of Drag Race, which wasn't that long ago, it was probably like seven years, six or seven years ago. It's 2014. So yeah, like six years ago. 2014, about six years ago. Even then, like the idea of drag, especially coming from RuPaul and Michelle Visage, was very much a particular kind of female illusionist. And so like when Courtney Act was barely padding, and doing like boy body or like just like natural body they were like hmm this isn't what we think drag is and so that was really interesting but also like after the fact courtney act spoke out very strongly against rupaul's drag race because of its poor track record with trans people and so got very much disowned by the franchise then ended up winning big brother uk like she killed big brother uk and like was uh, the first drag queen to win that show and has been kind of like famous without needing drag race anymore. Like she's very much famous without it. And so she doesn't really involve herself with the franchise as much. Like she talks about it on Twitter every once in a while, but her, her edit on the season was very much a villain edit because she's very bluntly Australian about her opinions. Well, that, and so I, I don't think that was an edit. Like, you know, you can say I, that yeah. that was an ad, but she's like a petty fucking bitch that oh, like yeah. sees ev- every one of these queens is beneath her, basically. And the one, oh, the yeah. one that really got me was her treating Jocelyn Fox like fucking shit because she knew, yeah. like Courtney knew that Jocelyn like idolized her and you know had put yeah. her up on a pedestal, and and Courtney was just like, yeah, I'm not having any of it. I'm just gonna fucking tear this bitch's drag up. Yeah, that line of attack with like calling her a low rent Courtney act in the reading challenge and stuff like that, it was always seemed like just a bad choice on TV when you're like, it seems like you're bullying someone who clearly yeah. is very like affectionate towards you. Like it seemed like yeah, she a her really read, her read felt always... like game theory to me though. You know what I mean? Like it always felt like she was playing the game the whole all the time like everything she said was to like oh this person is starting to fray at the edges i'm going to start like attacking that fray kind of but if if you look what she did the whole time i'm not like advocating for it i'm just like i'm always here for the villains you know what i mean so like i was kind of on board because i was like oh i know exactly what she's doing she's playing the bad guy yeah but if you compare if you compare the competition so there you go and what bianca did with a door is like she she saw a weakness in a door and was like i'm gonna show myself on camera giving a door a corset a, cin- a waist cincher and being very motherly and like big sisterly or whatever motherly oh you're calling me old <laughs> was very advantageous to her winning over the social media campaign that happens at the end when they do the hashtag are you team whoever yeah like people loved bianca People clearly knew Bianca was going to win. I got a feeling that that was a lot more genuine, though. Like, that wasn't her necessarily playing the game. It's just that she is that, you know, that that queen that, like, wants to help other queens out. Like, she'll read you fucking up and down, left, you know, sideways and and front ways. But, like, 
she was the one that that re- they really focused on like uh her reaction to trinity when she came out as hiv positive and shit like yeah. that and so like i have massive respect for her and like you know even though like she would still wasn't going to go easy on her in terms of reads but like yeah. she said like yeah but it's got to be really hard doing what she's doing and i have you know massive respect for her coming out and and doing that on television and everything yeah and Bianca, when they ended up on a team together for the the comedy challenge near the yeah, end of the season, and like took her under her wing, and really like, and Trinity could have won that challenge. Like she was pretty close. Yeah. So like, yeah. So Bianca, I think played a different game than Courtney, but she, I, like, I don't think that she was like playing a game, but she was definitely accentuating that aspect of her personality for the benefit of her campaign. Because uh, like uh, like by the end of it, what happens is they film all three winners. I think, uh, but in this case, I think they filmed Bianca and Adore and a double crowning between Bianca and Adore, but didn't film Courtney's win, which is like <laughs> was an obvious shade towards Courtney by the end of the season. I'm pretty sure that's the rumor. I think I'm not sure if that's accurate, but every other season they film all of the the top three or top four get filmed as the winner. Mm. And then the, the winner finds out at the air. same time that the public does. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And so they film the reaction of the winner actually realizing that they're their win. Yeah. yeah. Cause that actually just happened last night with all stars five, all stars five finale was last night. And, uh, Shea Coulee won, and I was so happy because I really wanted her to win. But yeah, you get to see their reaction kind of in real time, and it, it's like... See, that cheapens it for me, because like, you know, now I know that Bianca's, like, reaction wasn't real, because she didn't really know she'd won at that point. And I guess that makes oh, sense, because like, yeah. I could tell, like, her reaction felt a little forced on stage. Yeah. Like, it didn't see, su- seem super genuine. Like, I feel like she really would have been, like, actively crying if she knew that she was the definitive winner. Yeah, the uh, the fan base is kind of split on that because I, on one hand we don't want to get spoiled because it is it does get filmed in form in front of a live studio audience. So you, and so you just air the finale live, like Survivor's been doing that for years. Their reunion shows are live. Yeah, they. I don't know why they haven't quite figured this out yet because like the the reactions on TV are like what the general public sees, and they do seem pretty forced. And I agree that they do feel a little bit wooden uh, that you see their reactions on youtube while they're all watching it in a room or now with covid19 they're all watching it at home and reacting to it at home in full drag yeah. <laughs> which is pretty great you get to see their real reaction and it's like genuinely emotional but you don't get they don't get the fanfare public moment of that i guess and so yeah what they did in previous seasons when covid wasn't a thing was they would bring them to a live event where they would screen the show live after and the edit of the show would be shown to the the winning queen queens for the first time yeah. and then they would get an audience to applaud them and they would get their real coronation not just the post finale coronation yeah and so the for, the format of RuPaul's Drag Race has gone goes through a, a slightly different iteration every season so you always get something a little bit different and sometimes the changes work and sometimes they don't so yeah anyway uh, sorry i took us off anyway. on a tangent look in terms of favorite looks the one that like i loved milk's looks like i i'm with you paul like i love that gender fucking kind of idea like that's ultimately what drag is or what it what i look at it as is like you know basically playing around with with gender and now that we're in a place where gender is widely acknowledged as as a spectrum rather than a binary you know 
why the fuck can't drag do that too? So I've liked, you know, having his looks be like, here's what a drag queen would look like if they were doing a dude or doing somebody that's, that has an ambiguous uh, gender or something like that. Like, and I, I can't believe that we just talked for an hour and 45 minutes about this fucking show and didn't mention that she like a drag queen came out on stage fucking like with a pregnant bump. Yeah, like, <laughs> as like a the Phyllis Diller pregnancy red carpet look was controversial to say the least, as well as like that and like Milk split the fandom, man, because Milk was like really like came out as RuPaul, yeah. workroom RuPaul. That was a big thing, too. Like Milk did some weird shit in season six that people are like really changed the trajectory of Drag Race to this day. Like at, in the next season, people did male characters for in Snatch Game. Like in season seven, Kennedy Davenport wins Snatch Game as Little Richard, who's kind of a drag queen to begin with. But like, yeah, that's beside the point. Feminine, <laughs> um, feminine male. Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, it, that was unheard of uh, up until that point. So the fact that the drag, the drag on Drag Race has seen fluctuations is cool. And Milk is a big part of that for. Yeah milk's weird weirdness just like unwavering ability to just do whatever the fuck she felt like doing at the time yeah and like when and in that pregnant outfit like because she didn't end up as the losing team on that whatever i can't remember what episode that was but like they didn't even get to like critique her and mention like talk about her outfit the judges didn't Mm -hmm. she she was out there for like 30 seconds in this pregnant outfit and then she's gone and they were like Wait, are we just not going to talk about that? We're just not going to yeah. talk about that this just happened? Yeah. And yeah, if you're not in the top or not in the bottom, like sometimes there are some looks that were so amazing that never got talked about because of the placement yeah. of the queen in the challenge. And they, they end up talking, maybe talking about the look in Untucked, but not often because that's usually not a thing. Yeah. But like, yeah, there have been some uh, like overlooked looks because of the placement of the queens that I'm still salty about to this day i really liked uh darian's i think it was her black and white look where she had that those like super wide shoulders like, yeah pointed shoulders i thought that was really a good one too that that was a really cool look yeah. i'm trying to think adore's ball looks especially her banji her banji girl look yeah was pretty awesome bianca's uh first challenge where she did like what was it like tiki or something like that yeah uh, that, yeah. that one the was t- a really good look too <laughs> And she still maintains on Twitter, same dress, still won. <laughs> Very much as a fuck you to like all the fans who give her shit for her fashion. Yeah, just always using that hey. like boat neck cut. Boat neck silhouette, yeah. yeah. Trying to think of other fashion moments in that season. <sighs> Laganja, in spite of her like everything, her <laughs> meltdown, whatever, like she had some moments... That pink wig look was terrible, but it is memorable. And it just, I can't uh, take it serious. Like ha- her having that meltdown in that outfit, just like, I can't it. fucking, I can't do it. I can't handle it. Just quintessential drag race though. <laughs> like that is like, that is the absurdity of what we are experiencing. We're seeing like the, the human condition unfold in the most absurd possible ways. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just fucking great. It's so good. Yeah, so I guess we better wrap up because this episode's starting to get like quite long, and I I I could talk for hours about this, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to like ask you for ratings or anything like. But final thoughts would be nice. So let's do that quickly. Uh, Mark, what are your final thoughts on season six of RuPaul's Drag Race? 
Well, I'm extremely happy Bianca won because, like, from the beginning, she was my queen. Because, yeah. like, I was like, I'm obviously gonna go with the saucy one, but yeah. yeah, she worked for me. And then I, I was just, I was entertained when I wasn't expecting to be, which I guess is probably more to do with the queen's personalities than with the format of the show. Because, like, that's probably my biggest thing about it was like the arbitrary challenges and like the kind of like cringy shit that they forced them to do to kind of keep going and stuff. I'm like, this doesn't work for me at all. This is not the way I like my TV to be. Now, let's be honest. Out of, out of everybody, all, all the queens, Bianca is the one that would fit on our podcast the best for sure. Oh man, she'd destroy <laughs> us. What are you talking about? Like, I, I don't want that. She's way funnier than we are. Like, way, way funnier. Way funnier than we are. <laughs> But yeah, no, I like I but I got again, like I had I surprisingly had a much better time watching this than I was expecting to by the end of it. And like I was very invested in like uh, like the drama of the top like probably five or so yeah. queens and stuff like that. Like who was fifth place? Ben Bendel- Bendel- Yeah, Bendel- that that makes sense. But yeah. from like Jocelyn Fox up, I was like, yeah, these are the characters that I was kind of invested in anyway. So when they got really catty going into the final three, I was like, all right, I'm invested in this. Like I was kind of I wasn't drawing as much. I was sitting there like actually watching the screen and shit and being like, man, this is cattier than like wrestling shoot interviews and shit like that. You know what I mean? Well, maybe not entirely as catty as some of those shoot interviews are, but like it is very much like that where they're just like cutting into each other with no holds barred. So I was kind of there for it. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, final thoughts. It was just a real roller coaster for me. Like there were times that I was really invested in it and like there were, you know, real genuine moments between them. And one of the reasons that I liked Bianca was because she was usually right at the dead center of those, you know, she wasn't there to shy away from like a moment where somebody was like having a hard time and she would, you know, try and help them talk through it and that sort of thing. And then there were other times where I just like I was just cringing so fucking hard. Like every interview with Chaz Bono. Oh, Chad Bono. Oh, that was a bad episode. With, oh, Chad, still, with oh. Chad Bono. Oh, oh man. Oh, and, and, oh, it and Cher's mom. What do you think about abortion? Oh, oh about my abortion? God. I couldn't fucking, <laughs> oh, I couldn't fucking believe some of the and shit I, that was coming out of these people's mouths. I was like, and I love, like, Chris. all we've done is a bullshit three fucking man podcast, three person podcast, I guess, right? For like whatever. And even I was like, even I know not to ask a question <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, oh, this hurts. Like, my, oh, I'm having a heart attack, I think. Like, ah, it hurts. Yeah, there was just, there yeah. were some times like that where it was just really, truly painful to watch. And I love cringe humor. Like, I, I yeah. love scripted, or not scripted, but like fictional cringe humor. Like, I love the, mm. I love The Office, shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and so, but yeah, just when it's really these people and they're like failing, really just yeah, failing like, terribly. Like, and I mean, that was like Trinity's, like, whole season was just fight, failing at shit basically it was just except for except, i wanted to for the lip sync yeah which we will talk i want to talk about those quickly before we finish up but sorry go so, ahead tim i wanted to so yeah i mean it was just it was such a mixed bag there were some parts that i was just super invested in and there were other parts where it was just like oh god i could really do without this part and so mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it's just just yeah. real all over the place i guess yeah. For me. All right. Um, I want to quickly talk about lip syncs. So this season is home to like some of the most iconic lip syncs, particularly because of Trinity K. Bonet and Darian Lake, like two mm-hmm. of the uh, best lip sync assassins of all time. The What a Man lip sync with Trinity K. Bonet, where she just sexily ser- like sits and fucking serves, mm-hmm. and Darian Lake's Point of No Return lip sync against Bendela Creme 
are iconic. What did you guys think? What do you think of the lip sync for your life period? I just wanted to ask about that because it's such a, it is a quintessentially drag race thing. <laughs> it's just so weird. Like it's, it's, you know, so strange to have the fucking elimination hanging on that. That was what I, my big thing was. I was like, I was like, it's such a reality TV thing to have your elimination rely on the most arbitrary subjective thing of all time right but also like, something that all drag queens are supposed to be good at because that's yeah like, that's oh, i mean yeah and that's kind of what i i figured a lot of them probably like this is probably like something that they do a lot of but i was still like it just felt very strange that this would be what you would like go out on kind of thing but i it, guess it has created the moment. i don't know i'm a straight dude who doesn't know a lot about drag so they're like there you go i don't <laughs> yeah. know what lip sync if you guys were forced to lip sync for your life literally at gunpoint what song would you do for a lip sync for your life in drag in drag or out of drag whichever what what's your drag your drag could be your geek drag that you're wearing right now i don't know what are you what would you lip sync to fuck for me i know right away that it would be cruel angels thesis the opening to neon genesis evangelion because i know all the words in japanese to that song and i could pull it off in a like drag plug suit or something like that that's that that's my if we're just doing lip sync and we're talking drag i'd probably do something guns and roses and play up the axle yeah sweet child of mine maybe yeah basically something like that probably something dramatic right like you gotta have something that you can like play to but something that builds too it's got yeah. some, because like you can have a dramatic song that like flatlines and has like big big instrumentals are bad in lip syncs because i was gonna say we're not doing i'm not like lip syncing fucking lateralis you know <laughs> like I'm, I'm or doing... november rain <laughs> no well yeah 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 um, exactly that's what i was i was like i was thinking like paradise city you know what i mean like speech out of the mind yeah yeah that'll work that's crowd pleasing i think i do like 1989 era taylor swift like blank space oh yeah Blank space, yeah, something like that. There, there have been there have been some Taylor Swift songs. Uh, Shake it off was a lip sync. Shake it off would be fun song. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, uh, there's so many options. I feel like the indie space has not really seen a lot of love. There, there's been uh, and there has been some punk like Blondie. Cherry Bomb was also a lip sync song at some point. So like we don't get a lot of rock. At Courtney Love was as well for one episode. Well, she she was a guest, she was right? On, on season uh, yeah. 10. Celebrity yeah. Skin would be a great gotcha. fucking lip sync song. Celebrity Skin, Mayhem yeah. Miller fucking killed it on episode three of season 10, I believe. So uh, if you want to check that out, go ahead. It's on YouTube. It took me a while to figure out that they had they rehearsed those ahead of time. They're not just like, here's a song, lip sync to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it took me a, it took me a second to like, I think I feel like they don't really i mean they're not going to tell you everything like every little trick of the show and stuff like that but yeah. like it took I, I at first i was like wait are they just given this song and like now they just have to lip sync this like what if they don't they're... know it what if you don't know the words yeah. to that song like how does this work and then it's like you have to be like wait no this must they be an edit that. and then you kind of yeah. yeah so they give them uh, an ipod with all of the lip sync songs on it at the very beginning of the season and they're like you better learn all these fucking songs and then on the day of the uh, on the elimination day they they tell the queens which song is going to be the lip sync song okay, for that episode. That makes sense. And then if you're in the bottom, so you can see in some untucks in the later seasons that you can see the queens rehearsing in the mirror to get their lyrics down in the last minute to get them really on point. So yeah, yeah. So lip syncs. Anyway, let's move on to our final stingless segment, which is our geek cred, where we recommend, or in my case tell you to stay the fuck away from something very <laughs> geeky this 
week. So let's go with Tim. What's your geek cred this week? I wanted to keep sort of in the same sort of arena as where we are in sort of uh, drag so and, and gender fuckery. So uh, I'm going to recommend one of my favorite dragish movies which is Hedvig and the Angry Inch based off of yes. the, based off of the stage show uh, I I love that show I've never seen the stage show I'd love to I would have loved to have seen a Neil Patrick Harris doing I it. saw a, a one man one woman oh, nice. version of that show yeah. in Toronto it was so good fuck yeah. anyway go. the, the, the movie has John Cameron Mitchell who originated the role uh, on stage and also directed the movie uh, and mm-hmm. and wrote the play as well and yeah i just it's a fucking great movie a musical movie about gender fuckery and that sort of thing and and also ideas of celebrity and rock stars and that kind of thing as well and it's got a fucking just killer ass soundtrack yeah. too so yeah a soundtrack that has uh, there's a covers album with a lot of indie artists that we love that covering every single yeah i've heard a couple of those version uh, yeah it's really good yeah. yeah and i quote the line crypto homo rocker on this podcast pretty regularly because <laughs> fuck yeah yeah great movie like stuff like the origin of love and like and like wig in a box are just fucking fantastic songs yeah yeah and i have a soft spot for sugar daddy as well i yeah. love that kind of pop, pop country yeah nonsense. rockabilly kind of yeah, 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 for sure. Mark, what's your uh, geek cred this week? Well, first and foremost, follow me on Instagram, MT underscore Willette. I hit 600 people. I was very excited for myself Woo, today. Yeah, congratulations. So, that was fun. And then, yes, you go by Prince at BlackRainGallery.com. Uh, it, was, it was weirdly, I, it, just, it just happened to be like I was in YouTube tool bootleg trolling while I was working this week. And I realized I'd never actually watched the video for the Live at the Artist End that Soundgarden did. And then released kind of posthumously after Chris passed away. And it was his birthday this week, I think I just said. So I actually sat down and finally watched it, which was difficult because whatever, like, I like Chris Cornell a lot and he's dead now and it was watching him perform live. But like, it was actually a really good performance. <laughs> so if you're a Soundgarden fan, I'm assuming you've listened to this because it's a year old. But uh, I finally sat down and watched it, like watched it, watched it. And I had a really good time watching it. So that was it. It was either that or I tell you about the awesome... 2002 tool shows that have been hitting youtube all remastered and sound really good if you want like versions of disposition reflection and triad in full live they are out there for you to go listen to this is probably more for paul than tool <laughs> than tim because but that's the era of tool that i know paul likes a lot and there's some yeah. really good live performances that are hitting youtube out of nowhere so if you're looking for weird like performances of h and stuff that you never heard before live mm-hmm. they're out there all of a sudden and it's pretty cool so yeah nice so my geek cred was going to originally be a recommendation because um, I was reading, uh, uh, watching a lot of Netflix uh, documentaries. Like Juhun and I have been like kind of hunting through Netflix together to find a show that we can both watch. And we were the documentaries were an easy win for us because we were both like watching food stuff. But um, <laughs> so we were tr- we wanted to try like an actual like scripted series, and so we decided on the new Netflix TV show Cursed which is a an Arthurian feminist oh, yeah. Arthurian retelling about Nimue. I've heard um, real the lady of the lake. <laughs> real bad. Yes. Well, it's relevant to our podcast because it's exact pro- produced by Tom Wheeler from The Cape and Frank Miller and it's fucking horrible. <laughs> it is the yeah. worst first episode of a series that I have seen in a long time. Like I've never been we watched the entire first episode thinking oh my god it couldn't get any worse could it <laughs> it is a cliche ridden like snooze fest it's boring on top of being bad like all of the acting is so over the top and shitty or just so underplayed and like just 
flatline that you're like, what the hell's going on? And the production values of it were so weird to me because it looks so clean for a dark ages pre-medieval time while still looking super cheap like the costumes look badly made like the the one of the priestesses in the the forest fucking fairy community that they're in like it looks like she has peacock feathers sewn onto a fucking polyester black strip around her neck it looks it's just bad all-around production acting storyline just I've warned you away from cursed. Cursed is cursed. Don't watch it. Just, like, just don't. Like, nor like if you have any, just watch anything else. <laughs> Even the really sad, depressing dramas on Netflix. Choose those. Cursed is not. It, it's not going to make you happy. Even if you like trash fantasy, I love trash fantasy. I am all about trash fantasy. This is like my my wheelhouse. I've I read the entirety of Mists of Avalon for God's sake. For better or worse and this would it was totally in my wheelhouse feminist retelling of traditional myth and it's still fucking horrible so don't watch it fuck holy shit it was bad <laughs> fuck anyway but that's frank, our episode. frank miller has such a great track record with female characters uh, yeah they very much had a rape flashback hmm. in yeah in the first episode she, in the first episode, the the way that her powers get triggered is a like through a rape flashback, lots of male on female violence. Frank Miller at his best, as usual, you know, fuck it. And poor Catherine Langford, who I like, she was in Knives Out. She was the the uh, getting the SJW degree mm. in Knives Out. That's her. I really wanted to like her, and even I couldn't muster up any feelings for her character because everything else was falling apart so spectacularly. So don't watch Cursed. I'm, I'm This is my gift to you, loyal listeners. Don't watch it. It's bad. Um, already anyway. done. <laughs> yeah, there you go. With that, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, which you can do via all of the podcatching apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about RuPaul's Drag Race or San Diego Comic-Con or the perpetual saga of the new Mutants movie. Anything that we talked about this week or previous weeks, drop us a line on facebook.com slash Podcast, where we're most active, on Twitter at drd underscore podcast, or email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And if you like our podcast, give us a, a good rating on one of those apps because, yeah, we deserve it because we're great. So do it. So say good night, Mark. Good night, everybody. Say good night, Tim. Absolutely. And if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, see you later. <laughs> Bye.